Grover Lake. Go ahead and grab a seat. And if you, if you would, you can grab your notes out of your handout. We're on Philippians chapter 3 today. Very, very excited about journeying through this book. Uh, it's a letter written to the church at Philippi. It's actually known as one of the prison epistles. Epistle is just a fancy theological word meaning letter. And there is a note of joy that just runs all the way through it. So I hope you're doing your reading. I hope you're tracking along with us. Uh, Philippi, it just by way of remembering, it was a Roman colony situated in the northern Greece area, area near Macedonia. And it was the first place that Paul preached the gospel in Europe. Lydia was the first person that Paul talked with that believed in Jesus and was baptized. We just celebrated baptism this morning. And then she was the one who invited Paul and the disciples to launch the church in Philippi in her home. Now, the other notable incident that happened in Philippi, and this is, again, a little background here. As the church was getting started, Paul and Silas were walking through Philippi, and, and they were preaching and teaching, making connections. And there was a, a woman there, a slave girl, who had a demon. She was being demonized. And when she saw Paul and Silas, she followed them around for days. Not just for a few minutes or for hours, but for a couple of days. And the whole time, she was screaming at the top of her lungs... These two are servants of the Most High God. Now, she was just yelling it again and again and again. And at first, Paul was trying to give her some space, I think. I think he was trying to be gracious and patient with her and with the situation. But then finally, he just gets exasperated, so he turns around, and he casts the demon out in the name of Jesus. Now, she is very happy, and he is very happy, but the slave owner's not so happy because, because of the demon, she was able to tell people's fortunes, and that's how they made their money. And so now this girl is set free, and these slave owners are without a paycheck, and so they're really, really angry at Paul. So they, they go, and they start spreading these false rumors about Paul, and they incite a mob against him, declaring that he is professing things that are illegal for the Philippians to believe, which is, it's, it's a lie. But here's what happens in Acts 16, 22. It says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Now, if you're filling in the blanks today, the first fill-in is real simple. It's this, that we are free regardless of where we are. Now, we're free regardless of where we are. And as you take a look at those verses that we just read, you have to realize what's astonishing and what's not astonishing. It's not astonishing that a mob was quickly formed against Paul and Silas. It's not astonishing that they were stripped and beaten with rods. This has happened to Paul many, many times. It's not astonishing that there were false accusations made against Paul and Silas. And it's not astonishing that Paul was once again treated like the most dangerous man in Europe. He was used to it by now. But what's astonishing is after all that, it's midnight 
and they're singing praise to Jesus Christ. That's what's astonishing. It was so astonishing that the other prisoners were listening at midnight. They, they, they were tuned in to what Paul and Silas were doing because it was so astonishing. And they were prisoners, so where are they going to go? They have to listen, right? And, and, and that's what's astonishing is Paul gives us this beautiful picture that we are free regardless of where we are. We are free to worship. We are free to love. We are free to become more like Christ. We are free to be joyful. Friends, freedom is not located in a place. It is anywhere and everywhere that the Spirit of God is. And so Paul and, and Silas are in jail, and they've actually located the jail cell where they were, where, where they were chained. They were shackled in this place. And, and, and yet, even though they were in the inner dungeon, even though they were shackled to the wall, Paul and Silas were the most free people in that entire zip code. They modeled this idea of freedom. And I just want to be really, really clear. Freedom, it, is, it, it, it isn't located in the idea of a nation or in the idea of a constitution. Freedom is an attribute of who God is. So the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And for those who've been baptized today, for those who have professed their faith in Jesus and are following after Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. God's freedom dwells within us. Wherever we go, whatever's going on. And so in the dead of night, Paul and Silas are singing praises to the Lord. An earthquake comes. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 16. There's an earthquake sent by the Lord. It shakes loose the prison walls. The shackles are broken. All of the doors swing open. And so they were suddenly and literally free. It's been said that the gospel entered Europe in a praise concert, which was so good it brought down the house. And the jailer is now in total distress. He thought the prisoners had escaped. So he got ready to kill himself because he figures that that's a lot better than what his superiors are going to do to him once he, they find out that the prisoners have all escaped. But Paul calls to him. And Paul assures him that everybody is still there safe and sound. He says, hey, don't off yourself, bro. We're all here. That's the literal Greek translation. <laughs> and then in verse 29, it says this. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And as you keep reading, you see that the jailer does believe. And his whole household believes and are baptized. And Paul and Silas are publicly set free. They're apologized to. And, and the church at Philippi is now built upon the love of Jesus and the power of God's spirit. And it was to that church that Paul is now writing. You see, Paul is the pinnacle example of a guy who used every opportunity he had to point people to the love of Jesus. And that's because Paul lived free. And that's because Paul chose joy, even when he'd been beaten even when he'd been wrongly imprisoned and shackled like a dangerous criminal. And, and, and you can imagine it would have been very tempting for Paul to be bitter towards this jailer. 
for him to be indignant towards this man who had shackled him in the dungeon, but he doesn't. You say, instead, Paul's humbly and joyfully responding to this jailer, helping him understand and receive the love of Jesus Christ. And I say all this as background because I want you to know everybody in town heard that story. Everybody in Philippi knew that story. That story was part of the lore of the foundation of the church at Philippi. And so when Paul's writing the letter to the Philippians, he's writing a letter to the men and women, to the followers of Jesus in Philippi. Every single one of them knew that story. They knew that Paul was a guy who lived free, that Paul was a guy who chose joy, that Paul was the guy who was praising God at midnight after he'd been beaten and wrongly accused, falsely accused and wrongly imprisoned, shackled hand and foot to the wall, that Paul was a guy that the Lord responded to by sending an earthquake, Paul was a guy that led the jailer and all of his family to the Lord, that was the foundation. So when Paul writes these words in Philippians chapter 3, Everybody is listening because Paul is a prime example of them. And this is what those words say. Paul writes, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Whatever happens. You might want to circle those words. Whatever happens. And the fill in there is that we are to rejoice Regardless of what's happening, we're to rejoice. And then look at Paul's motive behind this. It's to safeguard our faith. You see, he wants to protect the church at Philippi. He wants to protect our faith as well uh, against some weak and cheapened and watered-down faith. Because once you take the joy out of faith, uh, then it becomes weak. You know, the scripture says in Nehemiah 8.10 that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so here's my challenge, Paul says. Choose joy. No matter what's happening in your life, rejoice, right? Make sure you choose. We were talking, uh, I was with a group of men this week uh, in Montana, and we were talking about what does that word rejoice means. I said, first you rejoice, and then you rejoice. That's it. That's all you got to do. No? Thank you very much, Victor. I appreciate it. I got my one guy. Thank you. Dude, you and me right there. Rejoice, rejoice? No? That's, that's gold, guys. I'm going to choose to rejoice anyway, just so you know. Rejoice in the Lord no matter what happens. Right? Regardless of the circumstance, no matter what's going on around you, choose to have joy. Now, here's what Paul did. He modeled this. He modeled choosing joy regardless of what was going on. And he did it with a perspective on eternity he did it with an understanding that God is so big and so powerful and so loving that Paul knew he could throw his life into God's hands and trust. And so Paul was able, no matter what was going on, even if things looked dark in the moment, even if he didn't know where things were going to go, he was able to model joy and rejoicing. And so it's without that sense of integrity that Paul's able to challenge the church at Philippi. And then Paul continues. He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators. You might want to circle those three adjectives, or, or, or rather the descriptors, dogs, evil, and mutilators. He's referring to the Judaizers. We'll get this to, to this in a moment. 
who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Okay, let's, let's get into this. Judaizers are the group that want to make new followers of Jesus obey the entire Jewish law. And Paul says, those Judaizers, ugh, he says, I, I call them dogs, I call them evil, I call them mutilators. And, and, and you could maybe have a little bit of grace for the Judaizers because it sort of makes sense. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was the most popular and controversial rabbi of the previous season, the previous generation. And so following after Jesus, you could imagine, since Jesus was Jewish, maybe to follow Jesus, you needed to be Jewish as well and adhere to the Jewish laws and customs. And so that's where they were coming from. But Paul knew, no, that's not what Jesus sets us free for. Now, he actually fulfills the law. Paul talks about this in other letters that he's written. Jesus actually perfectly fulfills the law. He accomplishes it, and now it's his Holy Spirit. Now it's we trust in the work of Jesus. Now it's we don't have any confidence in our own selves. We, we have all of our confidence in Jesus himself. And that's the next fill-in, that we rely on Jesus regardless of what others say. We, we rely on Jesus regardless of what others say, regardless of what we have done. We have no confidence in our own accomplishments. And if you're reading through that chapter in your own Bibles, if you're reading through Philippians 3, then you'll notice the next paragraph, Paul goes on to humble brag. Okay? He says this. He says, if anyone could have confidence in their efforts, I'd be golden. That all, all these things, he says, that I have been, all these things that I have done, listen to all these religious accolades I've earned, he says. I was circumcised on the eighth day according to Jewish law. Right? He's celebrating that. He's, he's saying that, that was exactly the, the way that it was supposed to be done. Pure-blooded, tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew's Hebrew, he says. And look at my Pharisee plaque on the wall, right? I am so strict. I was so zealous. I obeyed the law to the T. I even persecuted followers of Jesus Christ because they, I felt they were heretics who threatened my Jewish purity. And the reason why Paul does this, it's important to know what, he's, what his motive is here. Because he's really not bragging. He's not being proud at all. What he's saying is this. He's saying, I have not come to the conclusion I've come to because I found adherence to the Jewish law impossible or burdensome. He says, I excelled at it. I was awesome at the law. I was awesome as a Pharisee. I was awesome as a Hebrew's Hebrew. I'm not coming to the conclusion that I'm at because I couldn't do the law. He says, I'm coming to the conclusion I'm at because once I recognized Jesus has come and fulfilled the law, I've just treated all of that stuff as garbage. He says, I, I count it all as worthless. See, look, at, look at what this next paragraph says. Okay? He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. 
Yet, every, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Okay, this is super challenging stuff right here. Super challenging. And, and I want us to make these verses personal. So I want you to do a little personal exercise with me. Have you ever, in one season of your life, found something incredibly valuable? And then you come back around to it a few seasons later, and you're like, what was I even thinking? I'll just give you a couple of examples, and these, are, these won't be offensive to anyone, I, I, I don't think. I highly doubt these will be offensive to anyone. And the first is there was this thing that kind of swept through popularity with the elementary school crowd uh, back a, you know, a couple of decades ago. They were called pogs. And, and, and if you're in elementary school, maybe even middle school, you collected pogs, you traded pogs, there was a little game you played with pogs. And, and anybody know what I'm talking about with these pogs? Yeah, some of you. Yeah, there are many, many nerds right here among us. And so, yeah, and, and, and they were pogs. We had pogs in our house. And I remember I had a whole shoebox full of pogs. And then I come back, you know, I'm, I'm like maybe a junior in high school, and I'm playing football, and I'm driving a Mustang, and I park in the car, and I come in. My mom wants me to clean my room, so, so I start cleaning my room, and I find the shoebox full of pogs. And I'm like, what do I do with these? <laughs> yeah, they had no value to me whatsoever, you know. I, I, I didn't do any. I threw them away. It's like, why, why even keep this? I, I wasn't going to put them on my wall. You know, I wasn't going to make a little necklace, show up to school the next day with pog net. Like, what do you do? Nothing. It's just trash. Do you understand? The, the other thing, and this is truly personal. When I was in elementary school, I had a deep, deep abiding love for the hostess fruit pie. Anybody else know my love, the fruit pie? Yeah, oh my goodness. Just, I, I was like, that is the bad. I'd have a little allowance money. I'd sneak off to the grocery store. I'd buy some. You could host this fruit pie. I had a little fruit pie stash under my bed. Like, I, I was so in love with the fruit pie. But now, friends, this is not difficult for me to say, no thank you. Right? The, the gelatinized cardboard with the, with, you know, it just is not appealing to me. And I, again, these are, these are safe examples of what I once counted valuable, now I count as worthless. Now, here's what Paul's really arguing. He's not just counting anything. So it's not just like commodities change. Oh, I once thought that, you know, this had value. Now it doesn't have value because the ways economies work. He's talking about what he got value from. So think about what you get value from. He's saying there's all kinds of ways we reckon value for ourselves. Now, let me just give you a few examples. It's somewhat unique for all of us, so just listen to these. Oh, I got my value from being a good student. I got mine from being popular. I got mine from being pretty. I got my value from wearing stylish clothes. I got my value from knowing all the latest rock bands. I got mine from excelling in sports. I got mine from knowing all the right answers in Sunday school. I got mine from supplying beers for my friends. I got mine from being compliant to my, my parents. And the list goes on and on and on. 
And it's not that all these things are inherently bad. Some of these things are good. Some of them are neutral. But it's how we get value. And then as adults, we we do the same kind of thing. My value comes from the money in my bank account, my portfolio statement, my award at work, the sharp car that I drive, my hipster clothes, my cool tattoo, my perfect family as projected on Facebook. And it's all the stuff we build our value from. Right? We build our value. So think about this personally. What is it that you get your identity from? Your value from? How do you reckon yourself good or okay? Paul's saying, I did it through religion. I was great at it, Paul says. There was nobody who could stack up. Next to me, when it came to religion, other Pharisees would come to me and then bow their heads in shame. I was that good. That's how I got my, my value. That's how I reckon my worth. But now, after meeting Jesus, I count everything else as garbage. I count everything else as worthless. In fact, what Paul seems to be saying in this passage is, it's not just one thing. He says, if you were to add them all up, all of the ways that anybody gets value, and let's say I had all of that, I would still count all of it as worthless in in comparison to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And so the challenge It's can you say that? Can I? The challenge is, would we rather have Jesus than anything else? Would we rather have Jesus than everything else? Is Jesus that kind of value for us? And that is the sole place that we receive our identity. That is the sole place that we receive our value. Any value we have, it comes from this value that Jesus gives us. Now, here's here's the kicker. How valuable does Jesus say you are? You're of infinite value. You're of infinite value. Surpassing any ability for us to comprehend, that's what Jesus thinks about you and about me. And the reason why I know this is because Jesus proved it. By giving his entire life, by laying down his life, on the cross by allowing himself to be brutally butchered and murdered in my place and in yours. He says, Mike, that's how valuable you are to me. You can reckon your value any way you want, friends. And I'm telling you what Paul says is true, that it's all worthless and it's all empty compared to the value of knowing Jesus Christ and the infinite value that he is to us. As he says, you are of infinite worth. You are my son, my daughter. Jesus says, you're that valuable to me. Friends, if you and I can get that, if we can understand that truth, if we can start having that perspective, then then I'm just gonna tell you this. Rejoicing, that's going to be a piece of cake. 
being free, it, it's going to be smooth sailing. Why? Because you know your value does not come from your circumstances. It doesn't come from your bank account. It doesn't come from how the relationships are jiving or what the, what the future might look like as you reckon it in your own finite understanding. No, no, your value comes from Jesus himself. And he says, you are that precious to me. I, I love you so much, he says. And, and I give my life for you so that, so that you can be cleansed of all of your sin. You can be absolutely forgiven that, that grace comes in. We talk about this. Grace comes in to wash us clean and remove all of the stain, all of the shame, all of the sin, even uh, the stuff that we were doing last night, the stuff that you were doing in your mind on the way to church today, the way that you know, some of you, you didn't even want to be at church today, and you're like, ah, oh, I don't want to be here, uh, but I'll go because you know, my husband's making me go. My wife's making me go. I'm, you know, my, my mom, dad, they're making, like I, I, like I get it. And, and so you're an ang- even now you're like judging my shirt. No, I'm kidding. You're not. But the point I'm trying to make is it, it doesn't matter timeline-wise, The grace of Jesus cleanses us from all that, and the grace of Jesus provides power so that we can rejoice no matter what happens. The grace of Jesus provides power so that we can live free no matter where we are, no matter what's going on. Now, right now, some of you are looking at your watch going, man, he has only gotten through two points. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to call it quits early today. I really felt a burden in my heart as I was prepping this week's message that there's too much gold for us just to rush through. So we're going we're gonna to hit the pause button here. You're going to have to come back next week and get your fill-ins. I know some of you, it's going to be really, really hard. <laughs> Mentally, you're in agitation right now. You have to come back and get them next week. Because I want us just to pause there. I want us to pause and I want us to think, where is it? Where is it that the Lord wants me to be free? Where is it that the Lord is calling me to rejoice and to choose joy? And just understand that the only way we can enter into that reality is if we rely on Christ alone. That all of our value comes from him. All of what is worth anything in this life and in the next, it all is a gift from Jesus himself. And so let's enter into this place right now where we just declare to him that we trust him and we rely on him. We receive our identity from him and we give him our lives. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray. You know, Jesus, I'm so thankful for the way that you love us. I'm so thankful for the way that you pursue us for the gentle way that you continue to follow and to speak our name and to, to just come at us in love and tenderness and your grace. It's just such a beautiful picture. And Lord, what we, what we have to do is we have to confess right now that we, t- we do reckon our value in so many ways that have nothing to do with you. We confess that right now and we just lay it down. We don't want to live like that. We don't want to be in that place where we are taking our value from things that are shallow or superficial, from the clothes we wear, the money in the bank account, or, or how things may appear to our neighbors. We, we, 
When we say it out loud, we know it's shallow. But yet, Jesus, we find ourselves falling into those, those thought processes, those traps, and, and it prevents us from living free, it prevents us from rejoicing, and it prevents us from relying on you. So, Lord Jesus, would you work powerfully in us today and all the days of this week? We want to rely on you and you alone. We want to be able to look at you and say without any hesitation that we want you more than anything. We want you more than everything. And Jesus, we receive our identity. We receive our value from you today. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you.